Welcome to The Encouraging Word, a podcast from Ascension Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Iowa. In our episodes, you'll find sermons, services, and in-depth Bible studies to help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or want to connect, reach out to us at alcwloo at mchsi.com. Thank you for joining us. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you've caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. May we hear them, read them, mark, learn them, and take them to heart, so that by the patience and comfort that you offer in your Holy Word, we can embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is offered to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week... We looked at, uh, we started looking at um, God. Very good place to start. We looked at um, different views of God. Remember, we looked that, that there's some people who say there's many gods, some say there's no God, some people are agnostic, they don't know if a God exists. We looked at a few arguments for the existence of God. Um, and then we asked, and we spent most of our time asking, which God is it that we worship? And the answer you remember that we gave is we believe in uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who brought Israel out of the Exodus. We believe the God who created the heavens and the earth, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We believe the God who spoke long ago and in, many, in various, various ways, through the prophets, but now speaks to us in his Son. And we believe that the, the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the God who is Jesus Christ in the flesh for us. That sets us apart then from other views and ideas of God. And that's kind of where we, um, where we got. Today, we'll try... <laughs> to get through what is God like how can we talk about God and what does God do all right so those those are what we're going to do in your confessions uh, on page four in, last time we read article one we don't want, we won't read the whole thing again. But specifically, we're spending a lot of time um, in, in, in number two, Article 1, Paragraph 2. Um, he has eternal, he has no body, no parts, he has all wisdom, power, and goodness. He is the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. So we're going to spend some time there. Um, for those new, remember that uh, uh, this uh, is... The Oxford Confession is the first and chief Lutheran confession of faith. Uh, it was written by Philip Melanchthon, the right-hand man of Luther. And um, the constitution of our parish states that members agree that this is a true and accurate uh, description of what the Bible says. Um, so the same Philip Melanchthon who wrote this summary wrote this gigantic book explaining it. In his own words. So sometimes it's helpful if the author spends more time to 
to get what he, he means here. So I'm using this book, you don't have to. So this book is a lot of the source of my, my thoughts and notes on this. Um, I know Kathy had some questions, so I'll, I'm going to proceed, and when she comes in, we'll just pause and take her questions, because they were about last time. Are there any questions from y'all from last time? Any lingering thoughts, or should we just press forward and wait for Kathy? Do you think she forgot? I don't think so. I reminded her. Oh, okay. I could go get her if you want me to. It's okay. She'll find her way. Okay, the first thing we want to talk about is how can we talk about God? Why, why do you think I've raised this as a problem? What problem do we have when we want to talk about God? Some people don't want to offend others. Sure, we don't want to offend others. I'm talking about the problem that we have as um, not so much about offending others, but more like what? why is talking about God in general a problem? Descriptors. Descriptors. Explain what you mean. Because I can't define him really or describe him, then what do you have to say? <laughs> Just a very few things, yeah. Right. Do you, do you begin to see some of the problem? Is God like anything in this universe? No, he's not like any... Our language is built on what? <laughs> things, things in this universe. Do you see the problem? We can't... No human language can adequately describe the nature of God. So how can we know anything about God then? That's the question. How do how if we if human language can't get around God because he's just so big, how can we approach him? It really only comes through the Holy Spirit. Sure, the Holy Spirit plays a, a big role. Absolutely, yeah. What what how how has God revealed Himself to us? In his son. In his son. Now, now there is, he. so God becomes a man. All of a sudden, we can talk about him, can't we? Mm -hmm. We know what a man is like, you know. Now we have a, a point of reference. That, that's great. How else does God reveal himself? Through the word. Through the word. Now, how does he describe himself in the word? You guys are going down the right path. Truth. Truth. God is truth. Okay. What other things does he describe himself? Holy. 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 Yep, absolutely. You're getting more into as, uh, attributes. So I'm going to steer you back. Let's go. You don't have to go there. Psalm 23, verse 1. You guys should know it off the top of your heads. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your what? Shepherd. Shepherd. See that? The Lord used an image, didn't he? He uses an image to describe himself to you. Now, is the Lord actually a shepherd? Is there a holy flock of angelic sheep up, up in heaven, <laughs> which the Lord um, uh, uh, gathers? And, and Is that what it means? 
No, it, it's, it's what do we call that in English? A comparison, without using like or as. A metaphor, right? A simile uses like or as, right? A simile or metaphor, that some, but you get the idea. It's an image. The Lord, the Bible uses imagery. We, um, um, the fancy term is analogy. Analogical language, we would say. We, the, all of your language about God is an image. Think about it. Um, the Lord is your shepherd. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. The Lord, right? So there's an image there. And that image invites you to think about it. And as we say, a picture is worth a thousand words. So when it describes the Lord is your rock or your fortress, right? How you understand what that means might be a little bit different than me. And that's almost precisely the point. But we have a, there's a similarity, right? He's a, um, what other ones can you think of? We've got shepherd, rock. What other ways? <clears throat> Protector, defender. Protector, defender, sure. Yeah. Refuge. Refuge, absolutely. Your king, right? Father. Father. Right. So let's just look at two of those for a second. You know, our we know the Father, our Father who art in heaven. Let's and, and we have the shepherd from uh, um, Psalm 23. Why? What do we mean when we say the Lord is our shepherd? Protector. Our protector, sure, yeah, absolutely. He protects the sheep from danger. What else does the shepherd do? He guides us. He leads oh. us. He guides us. Pastor. Oh, oh. Back to the principal's office. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the first. So, um, so we have a, a, a shepherd protects the sheep from danger. What else? He leads us and guides us. He leads us and guides us. Sure. What else? Watches over us. He watches over us. Sure. He has a relationship with us. Sure, he has a relationship with us. With us, absolutely. He cares for us. He cares for us. How does he care for us? Besides watching over us and protecting us. What other, what other things does he do? Think about, pardon? He loves us. He loves us. Think about the, the Psalm 23 in your head for a second. He knows us by name. He knows us by name. Provides. Provides what? Green pastures. Green pastures. Mm -hmm. Right? He feeds us. Restores my soul. He restores us, mm -hmm. right? You see all of the, you see how powerful an image is, right? You can take the image and, and God describes himself as an image. And, and, and we can break that down and we can describe what that means. Um, you see similar things. Uh, the Lord's arm, the Lord's mouth, right? Does the Lord have an arm? Not, not really. He's not a corporeal being like we are. But he describes himself with an arm. He says he has righteousness. A righteous right hand. A righteous right hand. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Not sure. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a shooting from the hip without having 
consulting in arms, but I'm pretty sure arms and hands refer to um, strength. And so a righteous right hand is going to be that God uses his strength to defend us, protect us, and he does so righteously, which means fairly, justly, in a good way. Right? So all of our, it's an important idea to know that all of the language you ever use of God is always some level of analogy. All right? Um, same thing, you can do the same thing with Father. Um, uh, um, he, fathers, what do they do? They care for children. Uh, right? Uh, they, they, they bring children into existence. Right? That kind of thing. Um, Isaiah 55. Let's turn to Isaiah 55. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Um, once we're there, we have a volunteer for that. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. I'll read that. Sure. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, if God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours, do you have a copy of the book? Um, so if God's ways are higher than ours, and his thoughts are higher than ours, how can he communicate with us? What does he do? We've already talked about this a little bit, but... Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, yeah. Um, how, um, how might a rocket scientist explain what he does to a five-year-old. <laughs> so, do you see what God does for us? He's our Father. He comes down to us at our level. Right? He explains and reveals himself using images, using human languages, things that we can understand, things that we can grasp, so that we can better know him. But we have to remember that our language is always uh, by way of analogy. And we, we need to see that. So when it says in the Bible, the Lord repented that he made man in, um, in, in the days of Noah. Right? But then later on in Isaiah... In, in, in Psalm, in Samuel, Samuel says, the Lord is not a man that he should repent. Right? right? So why does it describe him as repenting? It means he's trying to get across to us just how much 
sin has grieved his heart. You see? He explains himself to us in ways we can understand. So our language to God is not one-to-one. It is an analogy. And we have to see that. Because we can get ourselves into all sorts of weird weird spots, and there are Christian groups that go there, and it gets really weird. If you don't understand um, <coughs> that God, the language of the Bible about God is, is imagery, because God is not a being in this earth. Uh, he's completely unlike anything we know. Um, so he uses imagery to help us with that. Any questions about the, 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 or comments about the use of how we talk about God? Perfect time. Come on in. Water's fine. Um, Kathy, you had some questions. We're in a good place for you to ask those questions. Oh, okay. We just finished talking about how all our language about God is imagery. So, you had some questions about last week. Let's hear them. Well, um, I came in a little late. <laughs> That's okay. And I just wondered, we were talking about um, how we can know of ourselves uh, that there is a God. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess when, well, I kind of got off track probably, but I got to thinking, you know, we, I was baptized very, very early. Mm-hmm. And... So through baptism, don't we receive the Spirit, and wouldn't that lead us to knowing? Yes, absolutely. Something like that. Um, yes. Um, this kind of ties in with a comment uh, that, that, uh, that was made, and that is um, through, through baptism, um, we receive the Holy Spirit. Um, we are... Uh, regenerated or born again through baptism. Um, and, and that creates um, a receptivity, I guess you would say, to God. Um, it creates spiritual life, and that life needs to be nourished and needs to grow um, as you get older. Um, but we'll come back to that um, when we deal with baptism in the future. Uh, we'll spend a whole lesson on baptism. Um, but The goal last week was to look at arguments for the existence of God. Like, here is some rational arguments, every, uh, the watchmaker, this kind of thing. Pulling them in, that's great. All right. No complaints out of me. All right. Next, we're going to look at what is God like. Um... I, uh, how would you describe God? What is God like? Let's hear your, your feedback. Somebody says to you, okay, what is this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What's he like? How would you describe him? Merciful. He's merciful. Sure. How else might you describe him? Powerful. Powerful. How powerful? Most high powerful. Most high powerful, all powerful, omnipotent is the word. Sovereign, right. He's sovereign. He rules. Omniscient. Omniscient. He knows all things. 
He's a just God. He's a just God. He's merciful. He's just. How else would you describe this God that you worship? Omnipresent. Omnipresent. That's right. He's everywhere. There is no place where he is not. But he's very loving. He's loving, right? Merciful, loving, absolutely. He's just. What else? Any other? Loving. Loving, yes. Loving, yeah. Yeah. Loving. Forgiving. Forgiving, sure. That kind of goes with merciful. Yeah. He desires salvation for all his creation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some others, we might say he's holy, right? Holy meaning, um, it's a, holy is a hard word to define, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Separate. Separate. Um, set apart. Different, set apart for, you know, so it, it's completely <laughs> other than us. Um, he's all-knowing, we got that. Almighty, all-loving. He's present. He's eternal. What does that mean? Forever and ever. Yes. Yeah. In fact, he's a completely outside time. Time is not a... Uh, to, to apply any concepts of time to the divine majesty would be incorrect because time only relates to what's inside creation. God's not a thing inside creation. Right? So any, so when God says before, you know, uh, so and, uh, you can see immediately, when we're back to that image, that use of uh, images to describe God, um, because we can't comprehend what it's like to not have the out completely timeless. And yet God is timeless. He's eternal, we say. And by the way, along with that, it is technically incorrect to say that we, when we die, we go to heaven. Sure, that's true. That we enter into eternity. We don't. We are always going to be time-bound creatures because we're creatures. We can't, to be timeless is to be God himself. Right? And uh, so um, uh, a better way to describe it, you already know, and that is, in Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We're still time-bound, but time starts to lose its meaning after 10,000 years. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We'll, um, we're not timeless in the ultimate sense. Um, he's infinite. Right? He's very, very big. Um, no beginning, no end. No beginning, no end. Immortal. What does that mean? Can't die. He can't die. Immutable. That's a harder one. What does that mean? Ooh, can't change. He cannot change. Mm. Why is it important that God can't change? Why is it important for you? Because if he could change, what do we need him for? We've got people to make, sure. make us happier. Give us or that's right. Or how can we trust his word? Yes. Bingo. Yes. Right? How can you trust because he does not change, he is trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Right? Um immutable. Um and, and part of the reason why you need imagine this is a, a covering a little bit of last week again, but I think it deserves uh reference. You see somebody walking across the street. You can, by looking at them, 
learn a great deal about them, can't you? You can, you can tell their general age, their sex, uh, maybe, their, maybe their income level by what they're wearing. Um, health condition. Health condition. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were attuned like Sherlock Holmes, you could probably tell a whole lot more, right? Mm -hmm. But the only way to know the person <coughs> is if they reveal themselves to you. If you sit down and have a relationship with them and they tell you about your, because you don't know anything about that person's life or what they've been through, what they've gone through, unless they share that with you. The same way we can learn a lot of these things from looking at reason or nature, we can see, but unless God reveals himself to us, he's still just a stranger walking across the street. And, and so, so I think it's important um, that we see that. Um, um, I want another, um, now, um, yeah, okay, so let's let's go to um, uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Someone to read that, please. I will. Sure. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. That's um, that's important. With that in mind, I should have wrote the first down. I don't remember exactly where it is. Maybe Pastor Lindbergh can help me. It's in either, is it John, God is love? Um, is it first John? I think it's first John. That's why you got telling me it's in first John somewhere. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What, stri what strikes you about that, that verse? If we find it, we'll reference it. He who does not know God, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. What strikes you about that, about that, that turn of phrase? God is love. 1 John 4, 7. Thank you. 1 John 4, 7. 4, 8. 4, 8. 1 John 4, verse 8. God is love. What, what, what's odd about that, that turn of phrase? Um, it's not uh, metaphorical anymore. No. It's actually describing it exactly what he is. It's a describing exactly what he is. And notice it does not use a different pro, um, pronoun. Not pronoun. It doesn't use it for verb. Right? God is love. God does not have love. You see it? He doesn't have love. He is love. Because what we what did we just read in Deuteronomy? God is one. One. Okay, God is one. 
as our confession said, God does not have parts. God is not made up of many little things. Right? He's one. We call this in theology, here's your big term for today, divine simplicity. He is one. One thing. You can't break down God into little things. For example, I've got coffee. Right? This, this coffee is not um, simple. It's complex. It involves uh, beans and fire and water and sugar and a whole bunch of chemicals I probably shouldn't be eating. <laughs> right? It's a mixture. That's the word I'm looking for. God is not a mixture. He's not like uh, a coffee with cream and sugar. Right? You can't break him down into smaller things. And that means that each, when we talk about God, God is loving. He is just. He is holy. These are not, um, those each describe what God is as a whole. He is love. Personified. Everything it means to love, that is God. He doesn't have love. He is love. He doesn't have righteousness. He is righteousness. He And, and he just is, right? Um, think of Exodus uh, 3, 14. I am who I am. He just, he just is. Um, this is important to note that God does not have... Um, and each, each one of those attributes, now, each one of those things we talked about, God is holy, good, and loving, all of those describe the nature of God, who he is, what it means for God to be God. And that means, technically speaking, that we're making this distinction between his loving, uh, God's love, and his justice, and his sovereignty, and all these things. We're making all these distinctions. But there's no distinction. Because God is one. He's not made up of a whole bunch of little things. And so we're back to this understanding that all, all our ways of thinking about God are by analogy. You see what I'm saying? So God is one thing. He's not made up of a bunch of little things. Um... Here's a really stupid um, um, way why this matters. Um, some of you, how many here have heard of the uh, flying spaghetti monster? Have you not heard this? All right. The flying spaghetti monster is an atheist. Um, it's um, atheists who claim they believe in this just for the sake of poking fun at Christians. Oh, yeah. They don't sincerely believe it. They claim they believe it. And they believe that, that the, the being that created the world, or they claim they say they believe, that the being who created the world is a flying spaghetti monster. The problem is divine simplicity. Where did the meatballs come from? Meatballs need to come from meat, from an animal. Where did the wheat come from? See, it doesn't make sense, right? But when we talk about God, God is not made up of a bunch of little things. He just is. All right. That's the deep end of the pool. <laughs> <laughs> well,
this, this matters for you in that when God says that he is love or he is righteousness, you know you can trust him. You know he doesn't change. And you know that his love for you is, and his truthfulness and his goodness define everything that he is. They're not an aspect of him. They are him. And so you can trust this God because he is everything it means to be good and holy and righteous and truthful and all of these things. He's without any limitations whatsoever. Um, so hopefully uh, um, that helps us to understand a little. Uh, um, yeah. All right. Let's. Um, any questions on that? Before. Yeah. Yeah. You. You back in First John chapter four there mm. <coughs> talking, but it, there's also. I mean, in Ephesians four four, it also says there is one body with one spirit, yeah. <coughs> one hope, one Lord. Yeah, that's right. And you know, which is kind of. Kind of redundant what the others are saying to yourself. Yeah. But just an added scripture verse that kind of reminds us of that. That's right. All right. So, um, I'll, uh, before we move on to creation, I want to give you our friend Melanchthon's defin bigger definition. You'll hear this in, 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 in uh, Oxford Confession article. Uh, Article 1, paragraph 2 there, you'll hear him expand on this in what, in what I'm about to read to you. All right? He says, this is his definition of God from this book, not from your confession, but you'll hear similar things in there. God is not a physical being as heaven and earth and other elements are. On the contrary, he is a spiritual being, omnipotent and eternal, unmeasurable in wisdom, goodness, and righteousness. One who is true, pure, independent, and merciful. This is God, the Eternal Father, and the Son, the Father's image, and the Holy Spirit, which three persons created heaven and earth and all other creatures. And God graciously revealed himself through the proclamation of the law and gospel and with def definitive miracles. Thus God has attested who is the true God, how he wishes to be acknowledged and honored, and that according to the gospel, he will gather to himself among men an eternal church and bless it according to his promises. So that is Philip's definition of God. And it's a pretty good one. I, I don't think I could do better than that. So, now we're going to go on to what does God do? What is the basic um, Confession of our faith about God. What's the most basic idea as to what God does? Creates, probably is the first one. Creates. Right. He creates. Right? That, that, that's the that, that's he's our creator. The basic confession, Christian confession, is that God made. Heaven, everything, right? Absolute heavens, earth, visible, invisible, everything. Do we need a verse for that? Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Right? So, 
Um, why? Why did God create? Why do you think? There's two, there's actually two big categories. Why did God create? Would love be one of them? Love, sure. Um, but he, he loved, so he wanted to create. Sure. He wanted a relationship. Yes, that's one. He made him, he, he created to be known, to have a relationship with other, other beings. And also, to reveal himself. All right? Two basic ideas of why God made. God made everything, first, to reveal himself, so that we can look at the, the, the stars at night and wonder at his power and his glory, right? And also to be known, to have a relationship with his creatures, right? How did God make the world? Did he uh, open, go, go, to the, go to the store and get a, get a uh, um, go to the dollar store and get a thing of Play-Doh? He <laughs> spoke. He spoke. And what happened after God spoke? It happened. It happened. So creation comes out of what? The word. Out of the word and out of nothing. Right? The basic Christian faith teaches that God made everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. All right. Out of nothing. God makes everything. This is different from all of the other religions that existed at the time. The gods of the ancient Near East and the Babylonians and all of these people, they always have their gods making things out of things that already exist. God makes everything out of nothing. We already read Genesis 1.1. I want to highlight this is what the scripture says everywhere. Let's go to Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9. Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9. Do we have a volunteer for that one? Psalm Marie. 33, 9. 33, 6, 7, 8, and 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That's right. Right? Out of nothing. He spoke and he did it. Um, and, and, and it, it stands fast also. Um, I'm going to see, I have scriptures referenced here, now I don't remember why I put the scripture there. So I'm going to quickly look it up. Um, this is, I, I think this is very important to see. And also because up until recently, not even science used to think, going back to the uh, ancient Greeks, that the world was eternal. That the world, the universe, always existed. And Christians always said, no, no, it has a beginning. It came out of nothing. And 
broadly speaking, your Big Bang Theory generally agrees with that. There was nothing, and then boom, everything. And we say, yeah, we've been saying that all along. Nothing, and then God spoke, and then boom, everything. Right? That's, we were there first. That's our idea, right? Um, so the scientists believe that now. Well, they no. believe in a lot of them, yeah. A lot of them believe that there was nothing, and then nothing exploded, and now there's everything. So how do they explain it then? I'm not a scientist or a son of a scientist. Well, That's a theory. It's a theory. There's, there are some who don't. There are still some people who think that the universe is eternal. But... Oh, Jill's friends who are nuclear physicists say that there were two particles right. that hit. And mm -hmm. that's when everything was created. But then where did those particles come, come from? from? That's right. It press, yeah, presses it yeah. back. And let's go to Hebrews 11, verse 3. Just want to underscore this point more explicitly. Huh? Hebrews 11, verse 3. Somebody read it when you got it. I'll read it. Sure. By faith, we understand that the world was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things which do not appear. Right. You see it? Creation out of nothing. Right? God made everything by the word out of nothing. This is your <laughs> fundamental belief uh, about um, God as creator. But does, does it just, is it that God made the world and then he's all done? Let's go to Colossians uh, 1, I believe it's Colossians 1, in verse 7. Colossians, remember, uh, you, if you're having trouble finding it, General Electric Power Company. Yeah. Galatians, Ephesians, yeah. Philippians, Colossians. Colossians. Good question. 17. Uh, Colossians 1. Yep. 117. Yeah, 117. I know. I love, I love the Bible. Colossians 1, verse 17. Do we have a. Logan? Yeah. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He holds all creation together. I'm going to jump over for the sake of time. And read you um, Hebrews 1, verse 3. You did that one. Yeah, uh, which says, uh, you got to find it here. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Upholding all things. So, I just, we just read those two verses. There's a few more we could go to, but I think the point is clear. Does God just make the world and then leave it alone? No. What else does he do? Sustains. He sustains it. He upholds it. The universe keeps running because God wills it so. Right? God makes the world run. 
And so we say in our confession, uh, in verse 2, near the end, right before 3, that God is the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. Now this is where your small catechism comes into hand, comes in handy. I want you to hear the small catechism on this part. Uh, first is the uh, first article of the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has created me and all that exists. He has given me and still sustains my body and soul, all my limbs, my senses, my reason, and all my faculties of mind, together with food and clothing, house and home, family and property, that he provides me daily and abundantly with all the necessities of life. He protects me from all danger and preserves me from all evil. All of this he does of his pure, fatherly, divine mercy, without any merit or worthiness on my part. For all this I am bound to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. This is most certainly true. And then, um, the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? To be sure, God provides daily bread even to the wicked without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that God may make us aware of his gifts and enable us to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What is meant by daily bread? Everything required to satisfy our bodily needs, such as food and clothing, house and home, fields and flocks, money and property, a pious spouse and good children, trustworthy servants, good and faithful rulers, good government, seasonal weather, peace and health, order and honor, true friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. This is what we call providence. Right? God sustains all things. He gives you all things. And he provides all things. And God's provision doesn't just end with life. He gives you everything. Right? You, um, when you... You, and he does it both directly sometimes, miracles, we sometimes call those, and indirectly, right? You put your, you, you put your plate on the table, you say your Lord's Prayer, your, your plate is empty, and you, tell me if this is how it works. Your plate is sitting there empty on the table, you got a fork and a knife, maybe a thing of ketchup, and your plate is empty, <laughs> and, you, and you think, and you say, uh, you say, give us this day our daily bread, and you wait for the, the food to just go magically pop on your plate. Right? That's how it works. No. You know, you thank God for giving you your daily bread. And yet, you were the one who went to the, worked to, to go to buy it. The farmer had to, you know, Plant the crops. It had to. The trucker had to get it there, and maybe it had to go to a processing plant first, and then, right? So all of those things, all those steps from, you know, farmer's field to your plate, and you thank God for it all, because you know that in each step, God is the creator and sustainer of all things, right? So your belief in God as creator is not just that He made the world however long ago, 
6,000 years, 10 billion years, doesn't matter, right, at this point. God made everything, and that's what we believe, fundamentally. It's more than just God made everything long ago. He continues to sustain and give you everything. And he, and when, as good Lutherans, we believe that God works through means, right? And we're good to say that about salvation. He works through the Word, He works through baptism, the Lord's Supper, Right? But he also provides for you through means. And that's very important um, to see. Um, the idea that God kind of winds up the world and lets it run on its own is not Christian. God is intimately involved in everything that happens. He, happens, he works directly and indirectly. And God is not bound by creation, right? Right? God is not limited by anything that happens in creation. Because God is not a thing in the created world. He's outside of it, and he controls it and sustains it. Right? There's, um... Um... What else have we got? Um, this is what we call... Um... Uh, primary causes and secondary causes. Right? A sec right? So a primary cause is, you know, God doing something directly. Right? Or um, a secondary cause is something that um, uh, you can say it rains because of the water cycle. Right? It rains because the sun evaporates the water, the water turns into water vapor, then it condenses and it comes down. That's a secondary cause. But the Bible says God makes it rain on the just and the unjust, right? And that's not just that God set the system in motion, that he's actively in control of it. Um, and so uh, you have, the, you have the, the farmer, is the farmer and the processing plant and the grocer are the secondary causes, but God is the first cause. You might say, also, uh, to put it differently, the pianist is the primary cause, the piano is the secondary cause. And no matter how, it doesn't matter how good the pianist is, the piano's out of tune, you can only do so much. And, and uh, as we'll learn in a future thing, the piano's out of tune. <laughs> Badly. Missing a few keys and probably should be brought to the junkyard. <laughs> Any questions about um, uh, this idea that what God does? God created you and he sustains you. This is, um, yeah, so, so this, this is, um, you can say that God sustains, governs, guides, rules, and preserves everything in all creation. So if, you, if, if somebody says to you, well, what's God been up to lately? Right? <laughs> the answer is, well, a whole, a whole heck of a lot, right? You're, you're breathing. You've got clothes on, you've got clothes on your body. <laughs> You're healthy. You exist, right? You live. You, you live in a world where uh, that's an orderly universe where things don't just, you know, uh, uh, it, it's not like a cartoon world and an anvil is not going to suddenly spontaneously pop into existence above your head and squash you. You live in an orderly universe where things happen normally, and you can count on that. There's colors and smells and delicious foods and 
this is what God's, you have a question. Yeah. Um, the article from the Catechism and this whole topic. What if you are the individual who's had a tough life? And you don't feel blessed in many ways at all. Um, how do you, how would you convince someone in that situation that they are blessed by God? They may have terrible health. They may have, can't rub two dimes together. Sure. Um, they weren't born with normal intelligence. Sure. You know, that there's so many things. Right. Um, and that person could be really hard to convince, Absolutely. I think. Yeah, because um, God made the world, mm -hmm. and he made it good. But the world we have now is not the, not the good world which God made, is it? Mm -hmm. Something's happened in between. Sin. sin, right? And sin means um, that uh, humans have wrecked the world and that because we are sinful, that affects the entire creation around us. Um, birth defects are only possible because of sin, right? Um, the bad conditions people live in are there because humans have sinned somewhere down the line. Wars and terrible things happen because humans are the ones doing it, right? Um, and there's a and, and so God has God. So the so so it's a, to talk with somebody about that. You have to spend the time to get them to see that yes, God made the world good that what little blessings they do have come from God and the bad things come from the idea that this world is broken and God is going to step in and fix it and he's already begun the process of stepping in and fixing it when he became a man and suffered and died for us and began inaugurated a new creation right so uh, it's important for them to see that God is not the author of sin Right, we'll get to that later. Um, but God and God is actively working in the world through His church to deal with sin, to forgive sinners, to and to make make them sure that they know that this is a momentary light affliction, and that God promises them, you know, something else uh, later. That's a great question, though. Yeah. I find it kind of kind of interesting. My little imagination was going wild this morning when. Well, or yesterday, um, this big mess with Israel and the Gaza Strip and all that, and Israel's going to be bombing big time and telling the Palestinians to get out or you're going to die, and we all know what's going on. It's horrible. Anyway, all of a sudden this morning, or yesterday afternoon, um, Israel can't continue its bombing because the weather is so bad. <laughs> yeah. Is that God speaking? Could be. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, so. maybe somebody ought to take... Note of that, you know, as God doesn't allow us to stop it or, or whatever, so He's going to send a big bad storm. Right. But I just, I don't know, I just, my little imagination thought, well, yeah, yeah. it's God talking. I mean, He's trying to. And it's always whatever. easier to look in the past. Yeah. When you look at the past, it's always easy to look at the past, your own lives, but also in the ancient history and see God working. 
right? It's harder to see where he's doing that in the present, and it's very difficult to see where he'll do that in the future, right? Because uh, we don't, but we can look at the past, and you can, in, in your own lives and in the history, and say, hey, God was at work here and here. And, and um, remember, God works through secondary means. The old joke goes um, uh, there's a flood. And the guy's on top of the house, and somebody comes by uh, with a raft, and he says, come on, come on, jump on board, I'll save you. He says, don't worry, I prayed to God, and God's going to save me. And then a guy comes by a few hours later with a boat, and he says, come on, come on, jump on the boat, I'll bring you to safety. He says, no, 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 it's okay, God's going to save you. Then a helicopter comes down. <laughs> And, and, you know, the ladder. Come on, jump on board. No, no, no. God's going to save me. It's okay. And the man dies. And then he goes up to heaven and, and, and before, the, before the throne. And he's like, why didn't you save me? And he's like, man, I sent you a, a raft and a boat and a helicopter. What, what more did you want? Right? Right? But it, I think that does a very good job at illustrating that God works through means. Yeah. In, in, in how he, you know, um, so we pray for God to do something, and we don't know, you know, God doesn't always send in the angelic legions, and he works through means. And I think that's that's important to see. Sometimes that means we need to be the means. <laughs> it means, you know, uh, to be Christ's hands, to feed the hungry, or to, to you know. Um, I don't know how many times I've heard the story of Christians doing something nice just because they felt on their heart to bless somebody, and it was you know, but they gave a, a check or something, and that check was exactly what they needed to make the bills. I've heard stories like this because God works through means; He works through His church; He works through the people. Well, and so many people will say, "How many times have you heard?" Well, it's just a coincidence. Yeah. I don't believe in coincidences. Right. 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 That's God. You just need to listen. Then, then there's that. Um, <laughs> there's also that old hymn. Um, Can't remember, but the, the line I'm thinking of says, um, "Behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face." Boy, that is old. Um, it's, it's, it's a hymn. No, no, it's, just, it's like the third stanza. Or something. You, you might recognize the hymn. Um, what is that? Anyway, but the idea, the idea is. Even when bad things happen, Romans 8, 28, mm -hmm. all things work together for the good of those who have For I'll give you an example. Somebody is born or goes through something terrible, but because they go through something terrible, they've been on the other side. They're able to maybe share the, what you know their experiences and help others, right? So they went through something terrible, but now they've been able to help others, right? Or pre maybe prevent such terrible things from happening again in the future. And maybe they wouldn't have helped those other people or prevent those things had they not gone through the bad time they went through. So you don't, we don't always know what's going on or what God's got planned. 
And if we have questions, this is where trusting God comes into place. That at the end of the day, we will trust God that all things work together for the good, and that no matter what happens, there had to be some good reason why God will have allowed this to happen. Nothing in the world happens without God. Now, God doesn't cause everything, but nothing happens that God at some point does not at least allow. Think about the story of Job, right? He, God did, Was God the one who killed Job's kids? No. That was Satan, right? Or a windstorm. But God allowed it. He didn't actively stop it. And God can take bad things that happen to you and turn them into good things. Think of the stories of Joseph, right? Sold into slavery, falsely accused, 10 years in prison. <coughs> and yet God turned it for good. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. That's what Joseph says. So this is providence, and it can be it's a tricky subject to deal with. But I think it's important to notice that God is both the creator and the sustainer of everything that exists. I like this scripture okay. that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are attentive to our cry. So he's watching us, and our part is to talk to him, because he, he knows what's going on. He'll direct and we distinguish between his active and passive will. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Active will means something that um, God actively decides. God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Mm -hmm. Right? Passive will is something that God allows, but doesn't actively do. Um, and we, we're losing time here. Uh, we're, we got eight minutes before service. Um um, so we're going to pray and then, um, um, calling God creator, by the way, implies that there is a difference between creator and creation, right? I think that's important that God, we already said that God is sovereign because God is creator. He's in charge of things, right? And that God has called everything good. Okay. Next week. We're going to jump back into the deep end of the pool and do the Trinity. And I will try my best to explain the Trinity in 45 minutes or less. And then we'll move on, and then we'll finish up with, um, we'll be finishing up with Article 1 of the Augsburg Confession. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are the creator and preserver of all things. Uh, we thank you that in your providence, you've brought us here today, you've given us all the things that we need for our bodily and life, but most especially, you have given us our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.